I am a big fan of The Amazing Race. I think it's just me and like 70 year olds in Ohio who watch this reality show. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the being on the Northern Hemisphere, to me being on the Southern Hemisphere. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? It is going well. Where are you right now? I am in Tasmania. I'm in a town called Launceston, I believe. Ooh. I might be pronouncing it terribly incorrectly, but this is our final day in Tasmania before we head on over to New Zealand. Tell me what I should know about Tasmania other than its weird representation via the Tasmanian devil, which perhaps Tasmanian people don't like. So shout out to Prasanth. Remember who we told to go root for the Portland Trailblazers? Mm -hmm. Prasanth is from Tasmania. So following that episode, I emailed and said, hello, what should we do? Thankfully, a lot of their suggestions resonated with the things that we looked up. Basically, I would say, if you're in Tasmania, go hiking all over the place. We did some beautiful hikes near Hobart, and we also did a bunch of hikes in Freycinet National Park, which is very pretty. The Tasmanian devil is an actual animal that does exist and is actually oh. very cute. Doesn't spin in a circle and blab around like our Looney Tune-based friend, but very, very cute and communicates through like yelling and biting with other devils, which oh. is cute and also silly. They're actually not as scary as the name would suggest. They're not big predators. They're more of scavengers. Mm -hmm. So if there's like a dead animal or roadkill or something like that, they'll kind of pounce on it. And recently they've actually been going through a tough population decline because they have a cancer just specific for Tasmanian devils, which Tasmanian devils can contract from other Tasmanian devils, which is not the case for human cancer, which is not necessarily a transmissible disease by any means. So it's something that has been a problem, but we went to a wildlife sanctuary near Hobart and they are rehabilitating and trying to help out with regrowing the population. And they said they've made advancements towards vaccines and some other things to help. So hopefully good news is ahead. Tasmania is great. I highly recommend. I tell you what, I did not expect any of that information. I just hope the Tasmanian devils who live there are not anti-vax, but we won't even get into that. Uh, <laughs> but I was expecting you to tell me about them cleaning basketball courts via a spit shine like the Tasmanian devil does in Space Jam. But apparently that's not what they really do. Very disappointing. You know, they did have an advertisement for a Tasmanian basketball team in the airport when we landed. So who's to say that they don't actually have a bunch of Tazzy devils licking the court to <laughs> clean it before the game, I'll have to return and, and attend a game and see if that's the case. But let's have some more basketball discussions. To prepare for those discussions, let's head to the Teal Memorial Locker Room, which is a great place to prep either if you're going to play a bunch of basketball or go on a bunch of hikes like me. They've got all sorts of good stuff and snacks and hiking poles. Yeah. I would not have known there was any hiking gear in the Teal Memorial locker room, but then again, I've never been there in person. So how would I know? I like to imagine it as like a giant sports authority that's kind of got all sorts of sports sections, but basketball is the primary market they're catering towards. I think that makes sense. You know who else would have a wonderful time in the Teal Memorial locker room in various sections? I mean, probably our patrons and specifically our newest producer level patron. Yes. Shout out to our newest producer level patron, Stubby Boardman Gets Paid. Is that a reference to something? Is that like from- If it is, they will have to let us know, but otherwise I'm going to roll with it. I know Boardman Gets Paid is the Kawhi Leonard thing. 
that was a New Balance marketing campaign when they were trying to make his boringness cool. Mm. And he said that about his rebounding ability. I've just quickly Googled Stubby Boardman, and apparently Stubby Boardman is from Harry Potter, the lead singer of the Hobgoblins. It was said by the Quibbler, which is the fake gossip newspaper in the Harry Potter world, that he retired in 1980 after having a turnip thrown at his ear during a concert. I mean, I would quit if I had a turnip thrown at me during a comedy set. Yeah. I think I'd have to just stop in that moment. Yeah, so shout out to our new patron for taking a Harry Potter pun and turning it into a basketball name. That is very fun. And also thank you to the rest of our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long-Suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball's Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Bergeli, Weird Questions, Riley Curry's Dad for three. Bang! Lobster Bisquay, Hi Trish, Ginger Spurs Boy, Nicole Arsenault, Something Mean About the Knicks, and now Stubby Boardman Gets Paid. Lovely. You know, I bet Steph Curry could throw a turnip pretty accurately with that kind of sharp shooting. I think so. Turnip for what? You know what I mean? Exactly. And turn down the decision to perform live on stage if people throw turnips at your mm-hmm. ear. Now, having... Turnips thrown at your ear. Not fun. You know what is fun? I mean, I I would say having a sponsor for this episode. I would say the same. How about you tell us about our sponsor for this episode, Adam? I sure will. It is now time for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Look, here's the deal. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. We face challenges every day. There are challenges that the world faces every day. It is not an easy time to be alive, which is depressing. But nevertheless, it is the case. When you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. And a therapist can be part of helping you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small they may be. I am a big proponent of therapy. I talk about this every time I do this ad read. Uh, I have been in therapy. I am actually planning to get back in therapy. And I have found it to be incredibly helpful, regardless of where I'm at in that moment, to check in with someone and talk to a professional, uh, always very valuable asset. So if you are looking to unload stress, find some emotional healing, get help with anxiety and or depression, this could be a great option for you. And if you're thinking of giving therapy a try specifically, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. And you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash horse today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash horse. Before we move on to NBQ&A, anything you want to plug that you've got going on? I absolutely do. And thank you so much for asking. The main thing that I want to plug is that I will be headlining Stand Up New York on Tuesday, December 20th. Uh, that is on the Upper West Side in New York City. I know you will be unable to attend, Mike, but uh, it's all right. Maybe I'll record it again and send it over to you. I feel like you and Kelly got to watch the recording last year, which was fun. And I was, I was flattered that you, uh, that you took the time to watch it. But Um, For anyone who is in the New York or greater New York area, I would love for you to come out to that show. Uh, I've got a bunch of other comics booked on it as well. It's going to be a really fun night. Uh, And for anyone who saw it last year, I don't know if any of our listeners went last year, but I'm planning to do as much new material uh, as I can so that it is a different show from last year. But that's the main thing I'm promoting. Otherwise, uh, you all can find my upcoming tour dates and that sort of thing on my social media or at my link tree or whatever. If you type in Adam Mamawala into your 
computer or phone, you will find me. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of you out there. That's awesome. I would love if you have a recording of it because it was very fun to watch it last time. I don't like this annual tradition where Kelly and I are not in New York when you do it because <laughs> I want to see well, it in person. It is it is our fault. But one of these days, we're going to make it work. Yeah. But also, yeah, you can listen to Adam's comedy album, which should have been nominated for a Grammy, unlike all these people with terrible backstories <laughs> yeah your nominees chris delia louis ck uh bill cosby it wasn't quite that bad but it was pretty bad um but anyway yes statistically more relatable is available and uh you can you can download that anywhere you listen to things what are you plugging these days you got some fun shows coming up abroad or in the states i do i've got abroad shows happening by the time this comes out the christchurch new zealand show will have already taken place but the auckland new zealand show will not have taken place i will be performing in auckland on december 17th so you can get tickets at the slash live it'll be a half potterless half tno show which will be fun and then i don't know if it'll be announced yet but in case it isn't this is a alleged announcement. I'll be in Washington, D.C. doing a the newest Olympian live show, I believe, Thursday, March 6th, if that is a date. Let me double check. You know what I know off the top of my head? That is Shaq's birthday. Whoa. Okay. So it's not on Shaq's birthday. It's on March 9th, which is Damn a it. Thursday. That's an upside down six. <laughs> so you can check that out. I don't know if tickets will be live quite yet, but if you're in the D.C. area, put that on the horizon for March. And then we're trying to make some other shows happen. I'll announce them. But yeah, thank you, Adam, for uh, for asking as well. Look at you from from Oakland to Auckland, the Mike Schubert story. <laughs> Do you know where I'll be on March 9th? Where? I will be performing in Vail, Colorado. Ooh, look at us go. Yeah. That's so fun. I've got a run of, of some shows. Uh, there's a guy I know, uh, Mark Masters, nice guy, who books shows at ski lodges in Colorado. <gasps> so I'm doing some shows um, in Vail, a place called Winter Park, potentially Eagle, Colorado, um, and then also a weekend of shows in Denver. So to our to our listeners who came out last year, uh, we had a couple producer-level patrons come out to see me in Denver. I will be back at the Denver Comedy Lounge. That will be March 10th and 11th. I didn't mention it because it's so far, but hey, why the hell not? Yeah, why not? Indeed. But let's now transition into NBQ&A. Adam, what's our question for this episode? Our NBQ&A for this episode comes from our patron, Ali Moss. And again, priority does go to patrons in terms of questions that we do answer. So if you want to have your question answered for sure on an upcoming podcast, make sure to join our Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash horse hoops. Mm-hmm. And we might be doing a full NBQ&A episode very soon. So again, that would be very much the time to submit a question as a patron to make sure yours gets answered. Indeed, and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, I can't speak for you. I'm ready to do another live episode pretty soon, even if it's just a, uh, a virtual one. So maybe sometime in the in the early months of next year. I think that would be lovely. I definitely want to make that happen. Wonderful. All right, so our question from Ali is, can you talk about the situation with Victor Wembanyama and how if the Lakers do poorly enough, the Pelicans could get him? Would you care to elaborate on how that might happen? Sure. So a couple years back, the New Orleans Pelicans had Anthony Davis on their team, and he made it quite clear that he didn't want to play with the New Orleans Pelicans anymore. His contract was approaching its final days, and he wasn't going to resign with the team, so they wanted to trade him before he was gone to try to get some of that value back. So they traded him to the Lakers, and because he was very good at the time and has a lot of upside, the Pelicans requested a lot of things from the Lakers, and the Lakers gave lots of players, but they also gave picks and pick swaps. So I'm not sure if this year it's a straight-up Lakers pick or a pick swap situation. I think it's a pick swap, but basically a pick swap is 
when the season ends and you look at the results of what pick everybody has for the NBA draft, if you have the rights to the pick swap, you can look at your pick that you earned and you can look at the pick of this team whose swap rights you have and you can decide if you would like to swap picks with them. The case for this year is that the Pelicans are doing quite well and the Lakers are off to a very poor start. So there's a good chance that the Lakers would have a better pick because they have a worse record than the Pelicans. So there's a good chance that at the end of the year, the Pelicans will say, yes, please, we would like to use your pick instead of ours and you get to use ours instead of yours. If the Lakers do poorly enough, that means that they are going to be in the lottery, which is when the worst 14 teams, I think, have a chance to get the number one pick. The lower you are in the standings, the higher percentage chance you have to get that number one pick. And whoever gets the number one pick this year is picking this guy because he's seven foot four and very good at basketball, basically as good as a guard. It's absurd in terms of skill set, but then still is so tall and lanky and can block shots all over the place. So if the Lakers do poorly enough, they'll be in the lottery, which means the Pelicans, who are already very good, have a chance to get an even better player. And that just really stings when a pick swap like that goes away. So we'll just have to see. I think the best non-basketball way to compare it to something as Christmas approaches, think of it like uh, Yankee swap or white elephant, but for lottery picks, right? Where it's like, okay, you can keep your own thing. Or if you like someone else's better, and in this case, if you have the rights to it, you can be like, no, 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 I want that thing. You can take this thing. Yep, basically. So that would be the dramatic situation. And it would especially stink for the Lakers because this is a franchise-altering player. And can you imagine being the Lakers and not getting that? Like, that's just truly wild. So it would be very interesting to see if that happens. Well, it's all just a matter of time until someone drafts Bronny James and then LeBron goes to whichever team drafts Bronny, which at this point, I'm just rooting for it to be a team where it would be nice to have LeBron. Like, I, I want Sacramento to get... Bronny James, and then LeBron has to just go to Sacramento. The Kings are very fun, as we will be discussing in Full Court Press. The Kings and the Beam is great, but I agree. I think it would be fun for LeBron to go to a small market team. And I know some people are kind of upset the whole, oh, because LeBron has basically said that whenever his son Bronny gets drafted, and his son Bronny is good, but not good enough to probably be as high picked as he will be right i think in a normal world he'd be like a second round pick but he's going to be a first round pick because lebron said he wants to play a year at least with him and then retire and some people kind of clown lebron for that uh i think that's the most normal thing he's ever wanted to do if you have the opportunity to play professional basketball with your son before you retire yes like why would you not do that that's the coolest thing ever like king Griffey jr and senior are on the same team that's super fun yeah Has that happened in the NBA? I don't recall it. Not that I know of. I know there have been other family members to be on the same team. And that could be a fun three for the future. Yeah, Yeah. brothers, cousins, maybe even like uncle. But I don't think there's been a father-son on the same team. I don't even know if there's been father-son in the league at the same time. So it would be super duper cool if they get on the same team. And to anyone who thinks that that's silly... You're the silly one, because that's awesome. Speaking of LeBron, though, and I'm, I'm just putting this out there so you can't steal it. We got an amazing three-on-three idea from one of our listeners. I, I, I don't remember the name offhand, but the idea was uh, a three-on-three of LeBron's best basketball and non-basketball lies. That's because good. Because there's this whole meme of LeBron lying about things for no reason. Um, most recently, his 
his claim after, uh, unfortunately, Migos rapper Takeoff was shot and killed, that LeBron was like, I knew about them in 2008 or something like that, which was before they even existed as a group. That is definitely on my radar as a future three-on-three the next time I do one. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think that would be very good, especially because that's very much in the zeitgeist right now. And I think the Migos thing was, yeah, he said, oh, when I was on the heat in 2010, I was telling everybody to listen to it. And the people were like, "Uh, their first mixtape came out in 2011. (laughs) Oh, LeBron. And maybe it was him getting the year wrong, but even if he meant 2011 and not 2010, it still seems like a stretch to know about Migos that early on. It it was, yeah, it was odd. (laughs) It's odd indeed. But let's get into Full Court Press. Get it like the news. Mm -hmm. So we've got some grumpy, needless drama news and then fun news. I think we start with the grumpy stuff and then get on to the fun stuff. Totally. So the grumpy stuff centers around Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Philadelphia 76ers and kind of Montrez Harrell, who's a player on the 76ers. Did you miss all of this? Because it's so silly and I honestly I envy you. Yeah, I, I missed all of it. So please enlighten me and our listeners. In the shortest version possible, and we can put a link to a longer version if you are intrigued by this. The Milwaukee Bucks, who Giannis plays for, were playing the Philadelphia 76ers, and I believe the Sixers won in a very close game. Giannis did not shoot very well from the free throw line, so after the game, he wanted to shoot a bunch of free throws. And this is a normal thing that happens after games. Sometimes either players who played poorly or players who didn't get a lot of minutes will stay after just to get up shots, get a little workout in. So Giannis was shooting a lot of free throws, but the Sixers as a team organization were trying to move things along because they had a special event going on for season ticket holders where you can come down and take a picture on the court and then shoot a free throw on one of the baskets. So they had to do something to prep that and they had to get all the players off the court before they could do it. So I believe that they were doing stuff on one side of the court and they were adjusting the rim, the net. I don't know exactly what they were doing. And then they wanted to do it on the side where Giannis was shooting and he wanted to finish shooting and he was obviously upset with the loss and was upset about the situation and he didn't want to stop. And then Montrez Harrell, who is a Sixers player getting shots up on the other side, he was very much in the, I didn't play any minutes category. So I want to get a little workout in. (laughs) He took the ball away from Giannis. He's like, I just want to get some steps in. I I need exercise. Right. I got to hit my Apple watch circle goal. You know, (laughs) I really want to hit my, my minimum here. So he took the ball away from Giannis and people didn't know the context at first with the whole, season ticket events that they thought he was just being petty. But then he tweeted, hey, know the full story. And then more reporting came out about it. But then Giannis left and then got another ball out from underneath, like from the locker room and came back out and kept shooting. But by that time, the Sixers staff had already set up a ladder to either take down the net or adjust the rim or whatever. And Giannis tried to tell the guys to move it away and they wouldn't. So then he shoved the ladder away, which was Very surprising from Giannis, who's normally a very nice, calm-natured guy. And then he got more shots up, and I don't know exactly how it all resolved, but it was just such a strange thing. And then there were things going back and forth, and it just became like a thing perfectly during the two weeks in between episodes of horse. It just became a thing where like ESPN was talking about it for eight days. And by day eight, everybody was like, why? (laughs) This is like, we get it. He did a rude thing. He got angry. He probably shouldn't have done it. It was unnecessary, but also, I don't know. Nobody got hurt. It wasn't the end of the world. The season ticket holders had to wait like 15 extra minutes. Maybe they all are probably doing very well financially. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) 
It's so funny because I had heard about Giannis going back out to shoot free throws and I had seen it in the context of like, oh, what a great leader. He had a bad game shooting free throws. He wants to go put the extra work in. But then I didn't see any of the extra stuff. So this is very enlightening to me. I like that we've now spoken about Victor Wembanyama, Giannis Atetokounmpo, and sitting here as a Mama Walla, I actually feel lucky to have such an easy name because <laughs> this has been been quite the mentions here. So let's move on to the funnier thing, which is just a fun, wholesome, great thing. And it centers around the previously mentioned Sacramento Kings, who are now fun and good, which is cool because Sacramento is a good city and they deserve to have a good team because they have very passionate fans and they've been trying to be good for a while. And it seems like they're accomplishing that goal, which is very fun, but they are doing this new thing, which has started the run. It's just a perfect timeline of events happening at the same time. The Kings are now lighting the beam. Have you seen the light the beam stuff for the Kings? I have not. You're, you're, I feel like a bad NBA fan. I've been so locked in just watching the Bulls that I'm like not following anything else. That's okay. You're watching the actual games. I have not been really watching the games because they come in at weird times as I've been in Australia, but I'm up to date on the memes and stuff. So don't worry. <laughs> the light the beam is a new thing that the Kings do when they win a game. They have one of those really bright, vertically pointing up lights Mm -hmm. that sometimes you'll see at like the Jersey Shore or Atlantic City or other states that aren't New Jersey to try to get people to come to a thing. But if the Kings win a game, they fire up this light beam from the top of their arena and it started as just like a silly little thing. But now when a win is approaching, the entire crowd will start to chant, light the beam, light the beam, light the beam. And we could put a link to a video of it. It's so silly and so goofy, but it's amazing. I love stuff like that. I mean, I think that makes it more fun. I'm also, because it is the Kings, and inevitably things will go poorly for them. I'm waiting for there to be a time where the crowd starts chanting, light the beam when they're up by five with like five seconds left and somehow they end up losing still. Right. Or the beam fries a bird or disrupts an airplane. Like there's, of course, the possibility for the Kings to Kings it. But the owner of the Kings, Vivek Ranadive, has just a lovely quote about it. Because Vivek Ranadive, if you aren't familiar, anyone listening, it's just the most absurd, over-the-top person, one of the most ridiculous people to run an NBA franchise. And his quotes about it back that up. So this is the reporting from NBC Sports Bay Area, which I guess Sacramento is now in the Bay Area. That seems generous. The King's Victory Beam, powered by four purple lasers that sit atop the Golden One Center's grand entrance and light up the sky above the downtown Sacramento skyline after every team win, was unveiled earlier this season and has taken on a life of its own with the fans. Quote, I just like the notion that this goes into outer space, King's owner Vivek Renadive said in a Thursday interview. It goes farther than the human eye can see. As a tech guy, having four lasers beaming into outer space is kind of cool. I want aliens to see it. I want it to go so far that everyone can see it. (laughs) It would be such a shock if aliens finally do take over Earth and they're all Kings fans. (laughs) They come down wearing De'Aaron Fox jerseys. Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) The reporting goes on to say, The Beam is the brainchild of Kings president of business operations, John Reinhardt, and was inspired by the Los Angeles Angels Big A sign in the parking lot of Angel Stadium in Anaheim. After every Angels win, the halo at the top of the Big A lights up to let people passing by know that their favorite baseball team was victorious that night. Well, I mean, this is notable, if for no other reason, than you got the first baseball reference into this episode, and uh, that is not usually 
usually how it works. So congratulations, ding, ding, ding. The Cubs actually do something similar, which is fly the W. So for a long time, it was just like a W flag that they would fly if they had won. But then after they got a little more corporate and put in a big TV and all that stuff, they are sponsored by Wintrust, which is, I think, a bank in the Chicago area. And so the lit up Wintrust sign, everything else gets blacked out. And then the W just stays lit up, which I think is like a cool way to incorporate something that's like a little corporate but then it still makes it feel like you're honoring the old traditions. Yeah, that's cool. I do appreciate that the beam is just straight up the beam. Yeah. And the Kings went on... I think an eight game winning streak, maybe nine games, at least seven. And they were lighting the beam up all the time. It's lovely. Shout out to the beam. May it light the skies and into other orbits until the end of time. I hope the beam stays pure. You know, mm. I'm just waiting for a month from now when we record and it's like, it's now called the Bank of America beam uh, sponsored by Bud Light. Yeah, if the beam gets sponsored, I'm out. I'm so <laughs> You're out. out on the beam? Right now, I'm in on the beam. If it becomes the something beam or the beam brought to you by, yeah, I'm 100% out. It better not ever become branded. Oh, you know what? Damn it. They're going to call it the Jim Beam. Oh, damn it. Damn it. Shit. Okay, that's going to suck but we could make a crap ton of money if we email Jim Beam right now. <laughs> I'm on it. It's not bad if we are the people that come up with it. This episode preemptively sponsored by Jim Beam. Don't quote us on that, but... Or or Jack Daniels if you want to stop us. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The Jack Daniels Beam doesn't really sound like the Jim Beam, but hey. <laughs> the James Beam brought to you by Jack Daniels. Okay, or wait let's... a second, the LL Beam. <laughs> Okay, we have a couple of brands that we can email. <laughs> We've got some, you know, we're, the episode's stopping. we got some emails to send. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, sure, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> okay, let's not cut it short. Let's get into your That Actually Happened. What do you have for us this episode, Adam? Well, for today's That Actually Happened, I have a recommendation from listener David Spears, who sent us the following email back in January. So the subject line, which I really enjoyed, was future episode idea, parentheses, not clickbait. So thank you for confirming that it was not clickbait. Yes. I, I would have clicked on it either way, but the message says, Hey, Mike and Adam, what's good? Wait, wrong podcast. Sup, nerds. Whew, that was close. <laughs> I have for you a That Actually Happened story dating all the way back to the year of our Lord, 2009. Did you know a high school basketball coach was fired after beating a team 100 points to zero? No, that's not a typo, 100 points to zero. This is the opening paragraph from ESPN about the story. Quote, the coach of a Texas high school basketball team that beat another team 100 to zero was fired Sunday, the same day he sent an email to a newspaper saying he will not apologize for a wide margin victory when my girls played with honor and integrity. I hope you enjoy the dive into this story and look forward to possibly hearing this on a future episode of Horse. Well, David, it took almost a year, but today is your lucky day. This was quite the story to research, and now without further ado, I bring to you the story of a women's high school basketball team winning 100-0, to zero, much the opposite of Drake, who goes 0-100 to 100 real quick, real quick, whole squad on that real shit. So this all took place back in January of 2009. I was in my last semester of college in New Jersey at the time, and I'm guessing that you were still in high school, also in Texas, where this took place. Do you know about this story? I heard about the story. I didn't know that the coach got fired. I knew that the coach got into hot water and there was rumblings about it, but I didn't know that they went as far as to get fired. That is absurd. That's ridiculous. I'm excited to learn more. It does remind me of the time that the USA beat, I want to say Nigeria, really badly in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I think like 73 to 20 or something and yeah they got into hot water and mike Krzyzewski said our game features a shot clock we legally have to shoot it 
every, right. I think it's 30 seconds maybe in the Olympics, every 30 seconds or so, we just happen to make most of those shots, which is the most badass quote ever. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Now, where were you at that time? January of 2009. Are you still in like your senior year of high school? I'm in my junior year of high school in Houston, Texas. Okay. Specifically January. Yeah, I'm, I might be just coming back from Christmas break and I'm grumpy about having to gear up for AP exams. <laughs> yeah, so it was January 13th, 2009. Weirdly, what I remember about that is I, I think, I don't know why I know this. I think that was like within a couple days of when Sully landed that plane on the Hudson. <laughs> I don't know why I know that. It's like a date that's in my head for some reason. I could be wrong. I actually want to look it up right now. Shaq's birthday, the Sully date. You're just on the calendar game. I'm very good with dates. Okay. Oh, interesting. It was January 15th, 2009. Fantastic. So this game was actually two days before Butterfly Effect. Would that plane have hit those birds if this team had not won 100 to zero? I mean, we'll never know. We'll never know. It's, it's one of the greatest what ifs of our generation when you think about it, oh. though. And everyone always asks, what if in that specific instance? I mean, it's on the top of everyone's minds. Anyway, 100%. this took place uh, near Dallas. And before I get into it, I'm curious if you remember, do you recall the biggest blowout you ever were a part of on either side, winning or losing basketball or any sport? Yes, it definitely happened more in basketball than other sports, because I feel like most baseball leagues I was in had some sort of mercy rule. Right. So it would end quickly. But there was a basketball game. And I think I've talked about this in a previous episode of Horse. the most points I ever scored in a game was the infamous Mike Schubert haircut game where my dad said, right, if right, you score right. a certain amount of points, you don't have to get your haircut. And this is when I had my bad bowl cut. So I almost outscored the other team. I had 17 points. The other team had 18 points. I think we won like 60 something to 18. And I guess the score wasn't that ridiculous, but it was just like never close at any moment at all. Right. And the fact that I almost outscored the other team was quite embarrassing. Yeah. Also, for clarity, uh, for anyone who's wondering what a mercy rule is, you'll see it most in baseball and softball, but it's set up in such a way that the losing team does not get horribly embarrassed. So it's usually like if it's a seven inning game ordinarily, if one team is leading by at least 10 runs after five innings, they're like, all right, the game's over. We're just not going to keep putting anyone through through this. Right. And the reason that you do that in a Little League game, speaking as a former baseball umpire, is that if the score is that high, the game has probably taken as long as it was supposed to take. And sometimes it's for scheduling purposes where right. they have another game that they got to get going or you just don't want to watch your kid get trounced for more than sure. an hour and a half or so. I believe our softball team that you and I played on over the summer mercy ruled people a couple times, did we not? We mercy ruled someone in the playoffs after they pulled some cheeky little nit because our league is a co-ed league and you have to have a certain amount of women on the team. And due to scheduling, we borrowed a woman from another team that was eliminated from the playoffs and she played with us for two games and they were like she's not on the official roster so we had to play a person down and then we mercy ruled them oh i talked so much trash <laughs> i was talking so much shit uh the whole time we mercy ruled and we were down a person how embarrassing how embarrassing <laughs> you know I, I i am tempted to bring up that chart of uh you know fuck around find out oh, God, that's the, exactly the what more it was. you fuck around the more you find out <laughs> oh it was great i talked trash from the bench i talked trash while i was actively running the bases i talked trash to the catcher who instigated the whole thing oh man it was so good <laughs> For anyone who's curious, Mike's main trash talk consists of just reminding everyone how ridiculous all of it is, where he's like, oh, are there are there scouts here? Are, are we are we playing in front of scouts? Yeah. When people get too angry, I ask, oh, are the scouts out? And then my trash talk towards umpires is, what game are you watching, is my most common <laughs> refrain. 
Oh, I love it. All right, let's get into the story. So on January 13th, 2009, a private Christian school called the Covenant School of Dallas defeated Dallas Academy 100 to zero. And honestly, just hearing that for the first time, I couldn't decide if the 100 points scored or the zero points allowed was the more impressive or shocking part. It's definitely the zero. That's absurd. I think so, yeah. Not even a free throw went in? Like, that's nuts. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, for reference, in high school basketball, there are typically four quarters that are either like eight or ten minutes. It varies. Mm -hmm. Usually there's a running clock, which means that they don't stop the clock every time someone is fouled. So the typical scores you'll see in a high school basketball game are like in the 50s or 60s, maybe. Like, sometimes even less than that. In this case, Covenant led 59 to nothing at the half and 88 nothing after three quarters. So it actually kind of feels like they took it easy by only scoring 12 in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. But apparently, by the time they scored their 100th point, they finally decided it was time to take their foot off the gas. But before you go blaming the players for being bad sports, let's take a step back like we're James Harden. <laughs> to get to this point, the girls' head coach, Micah Grimes, kept his team playing a full-court press in which you guard the opposing team the entire length of the floor in hopes of stealing the ball. To make matters even worse, the opposing school, Dallas Academy, had not won a game in almost five seasons and was a school known for their work with students with learning disabilities. Yet, despite all of this, the head coach was unrepentant, and I'm using that word intentionally given that he coaches or coached a Christian high school basketball team. (laughs) Immediately following the game and the resulting backlash, the school posted a statement from the head of school and board chair apologizing for what had happened, stating, quote, It is shameful and an embarrassment that this happened. This clearly does not reflect a Christ-like and honorable approach to competition, end quote. I would tend to agree, but head coach Micah Grimes kept doubling down on what had happened. Initially, he had acted a bit naive, responding, quote, it just happened when someone asked him how the score had gotten so out of hand. But in a statement to the Dallas Morning News, Grimes was quoted as saying, in response to the statement posted on the Covenant School website, I do not agree with the apology or the notion that the Covenant School girls basketball team should feel embarrassed or ashamed. We played the game as it was meant to be played. My values and my beliefs would not allow me to run up the score on any opponent, and it will not allow me to apologize for a wide margin victory when my girls played with honor and integrity. Let me just repeat that again. My values and my beliefs would not allow me to run up the score on any opponent, and it will not allow me to apologize for a wide margin victory when my girls played with honor and integrity. I've read that statement like five times and it makes less sense every time. Basically in one breath, he's saying that his values wouldn't allow him to run up a score, but also that his values won't allow him to apologize for running up a score. Like what the hell is he even saying? Yeah, I didn't realize that he full court pressed the whole game. Now I support the firing. Yeah. I feel like I've been in situations where that was the case especially in basketball, you can do that up to a full half without getting any sort of backlash. But if you're up by 59 points and it's 59 to zero, mainly because of this full court press, you just stop doing it because you're still probably going to win by a boatload of points. That's excessive. Yeah. Now, to be clear, my understanding of it, and I'll give some more clarity later, is that they weren't necessarily full court pressing the entire game, but they were still doing it in the fourth quarter. And either way, that's not cool. Right. That's absurd. Yeah. And if it is the case that the people on the other team had some sort of learning disability, like then it just feels needless. Right. Especially if if there's no stakes to this game, like it's not a playoff game, like then it's super egregious. If it was a playoff game, sure, you got to win. And I always think it's silly when for games that have legitimate stakes, 
in any professional sport that people will try to do sportsmanship stuff. Like if there's real ramifications to the game, even if it's like regular season for seeding purposes, like you got to win. It doesn't matter. Right. But if this is a game that doesn't really have any sort of stakes involved, what are we doing? Yeah, but just that statement where he like immediately contradicts himself, it was so funny to me. Like it reminded me of, I'm sure you've seen that Chappelle show, Rick James sketch, mm -hmm. where he talks about like, yeah, I would never like grind my feet in someone's couch. Yeah, I remember grinding my feet in Eddie's couch. <laughs> like, right. I actually found the clip of it and I'm going to play it just because it makes me laugh. Come on, I mean, what am I going to do? Just all of a sudden just jump up and grind my feet in somebody's couch. Like it's like it's, you know, something to do. Come on, I got a little more sense than that. Yeah, I remember grinding my feet in somebody's couch. Anyway, about a week after the game that had sent shockwaves through the basketball and sports world, head coach Micah Grimes was fired after refusing to apologize for running up the score. So, you know, I hope it was worth it. To their credit, the school contacted the Texas Association of Private and Parochial Schools to request a forfeit of the game. Oh, I know. And the win was Shout removed out to from their I played record. In lots of you know Taps? Taps? Yeah, I, I mean, I went to a Catholic high school in Houston, so I was under Taps division when oh, I played basketball right, and Taps. tennis and all that. Yeah. Do you know how to play taps, like on a trumpet? <laughs> I do not, but uh, I could try. <laughs> yeah, some, something to think about for the future. The other thing that's strange, though, with the apology, not only did he just not apologize, but it sounds like he went out of his way to contact the Dallas Morning News and say, hey, other people apologize for me, and I don't stand for that, which is right. just a whole nother level of unhinged. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what led to his firing was like, it was less about just his conduct within the game and more about being like, hey, these people don't speak for me. I apologize for nothing. And now I'm going to contradict myself immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Dallas Academy, the team on the losing end of this debacle, ended up pulling out of the district altogether and reworked their schedule to play more junior varsity teams, which arguably is probably the right call. Yeah. But the story ended up being covered everywhere from ABC's World News and Good Morning America to CBS's Saturday Early Show to NBC's Today Show to ESPN to Sports Illustrated. And they were even the invited guests of Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban to sit courtside at a Mavs game, This the losing team I'm talking about. Good. Uh, even better... Nike sponsored a trip for the girls to go to the NBA All-Star game that year. There's even a whole Reddit thread about this game from which my favorite comment exchange was, quote, what would Jesus do? Three pointers, of course. And then someone else just responding, Hail Marys. <laughs> <laughs> Which, different sport, but still very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I have to be honest, I had written this entire That Actually Happened thinking that there was nothing else out there to find when a YouTube wormhole led me to an Outside the Lines piece from ESPN in which they interview the fired head coach later the same year, <gasps> and it was fascinating to say the least. We will post links to the full interview on the episode page at horsehoops.com, but it was quite a ride. Honestly, I was hoping to bring some further context to the story, and I would have loved to have been proven wrong about the coach. But the interview was mostly a continuation of him deflecting and obfuscating. And yes, I really wanted to use the word obfuscating in an episode of this basketball podcast. But throughout the interview, he denies wrongdoing, saying that winning 100 to zero does not constitute running up the score, but rather winning by a wide margin. And this is his answer when asked if he takes responsibility for the score being 100 to zero. Who do you hold responsible for a 100 to nothing score? It's mm, a very good question. I haven't thought about that. We played the game. And we won 100 to zero. Do you take responsibility for the 100 to nothing score? I, I take responsibility for being a coach, uh, teaching my girls to do the right thing and playing the right way. But we did not do anything to those girls that will cause us uh, to apologize for playing basketball. 
you hadn't thought about it, get out of here, dude. To make matters even worse, there was only one person who had footage of the entire game, and it was the father of one of the students on the winning Covenant team. When Outside the Lines requested the full game footage, he refused and instead sent them a heavily edited 10-minute highlight video, conveniently leaving out the part where they scored their 100th point. And that's the part of the interview where I almost flipped the table. Listen to this response. When you reached 100 points, what were you thinking? Let the game in. <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm never concerned about a score. Was 100 points a goal? Never. No. No way. Absolutely not. Come on, dude. 100 to zero is not an accident. 100 is a very round number, especially when you don't score after reaching it. Parents who attended the game claimed that the coach and assistant coach were cheering wildly when the team reached 100. But again, the only person with actual video evidence won't share it. The only point at which the head coach seems to show any remorse or contrition whatsoever is when he has asked what he would have done differently. This is his response. Number one, I would have probably run the clock the entire game. Number two, I would probably turn the score off. And number three, if the coach felt his girls were in danger of being hurt or anything, then we would stop the game. Okay, great, fair enough. But if you're going to do this interview, just apologize. I admit that you're competitive and you got carried away and that you feel badly about what happened. I don't know, even say that if you don't mean it to save your ass at a certain point. Now, I know some people might disagree with me here, and this always brings up that narrative of like, uh, we shouldn't be giving people participation trophies, get off my lawn, blah, 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 blah. You know who invented participation trophies? The boomers that complain about it. As eight-year-olds, we didn't ask for them. You're not wrong. <laughs> you old people did it. It's not us. Get better yourself. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some angry emails. I don't think we are. They can't figure out how to turn on a computer. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, we're gonna get angry emails from couples who share an email address. Anyway, <laughs> here's the thing, though. On December second of last year, and I'm sure you remember this, the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 152 to 79. It was a 73 point margin of victory, the largest in NBA history, and everybody rightfully clowned on the Thunder for losing that badly, but no one made the Grizzlies feel bad for running up the score. And you know why? Because they are a professional basketball team. Mm -hmm. We are talking here about a high school game, and that's the problem. Yes, you should play hard. Yes, you should play to win. Yes, as you get to higher levels of sports, it's no longer T-ball, and the best players should be playing. All of that is fine. But there does have to be some amount of discretion involved when we're talking about children, especially given the context. And that is a story of how this went down. That actually happened. And uh, thank you again to David for the great recommendation. Yeah, once you said heavily edited and specifically didn't have the 100th point, that makes me think that the coach went absolutely wild when they did that. And yeah. I stand by the firing. And shout out to all the people that did stuff for the other school and I'm glad that they ended up coming out on the winning end, going to the All-Star game and having special treatment from various fancy people. That's way cooler than winning a high school game 100 to zero. I was hoping for a happy ending here because I looked up Dallas Academy to see how their women's basketball team is doing. And I could be wrong, but I don't know that they have a women's basketball team anymore. Uh, when I looked at the schedule, it had all the years listed. But then when I looked at the last few years, there was just nothing listed for stats. So I don't know if I just found the wrong thing. I'm sure I could look into this further. But if anyone knows about the <laughs> Dallas Academy women's basketball team, uh, do let me know. And I, I hope they're doing well and not losing 100 to zero to anyone. Here's hoping. Well, that was fantastic. And I'm excited now to get into my three on three, which was inspired by your three on three last episode. Ooh, okay. One, two, three, three, two, one three on three. So last episode, you talked about the NBA 
City Edition jerseys for this coming season. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was great. I love talking about that kind of stuff. I think the jerseys are very interesting. Something that I think is always very silly with the jerseys is that they don't just release the jerseys. Every team now releases press releases and statements and videos and social media campaigns about why these jerseys are so important and impactful. And sometimes they're legitimately cool. And other times it's like you're doing a book report for school and you have a five page double space, one inch margin minimum, and you got to just say the same thing a million times. So I present the three coolest and the three wackest descriptions about this year's City Edition jerseys. And honestly, if we make a tradition out of this doing it every year, I would be so down because reading all these press releases was a very interesting time. (laughs) It just doesn't seem like it needs a press release. It can be a tweet. Right. And honestly, some of the ones I've picked for best were on the short but sweet end of things. Right. Do we want to start with the worst so we can end on a cool note as opposed to clowning on teams? I kind of am more excited about clowning on teams. I'd rather hear the best ones We'll save it. Let's start with the best ones. So the number three best one is the Portland Trailblazers. So I don't know if you've seen their jersey, but it is a black jersey with a turquoise, teal, I always struggle with this shade of color, especially because I'm colorblind, Mm -hmm. sash going down, and it says PDX. Okay. PDX is the airport code for Portland, but unlike Charlotte, and maybe people in Charlotte call it CLT or the clit, but in Portland, people actually refer to Portland as PDX. I know this to be true. So them having a PDX jersey makes sense just if they wanted PDX on a jersey. But did you know that this jersey is actually inspired by the iconic carpet of the Portland airport? No, and I kind of love that. It's fantastic. So I didn't recall this carpet existing, though I think I've flown into Portland a couple of times. They have apparently just this very much beloved old school looking carpet that is still in the airport and they're never going to get rid of it. It's this funky teal turquoisey color with this interesting pattern, just like a very retro carpet that does honestly look very cool. So these jerseys pay homage to that carpet. So here's what various reporting said about it. Quote, no other team would be as confident and quirky as to model their uniform designed around airport carpet patterns. The City (laughs) Edition uniform proudly pays homage to the Portland International Airport's carpet, which reached local icon status in the 90s. The unique geometric shapes displayed over a bright teal base represented the view of the north and the south runways as seen overhead by air traffic controllers. The cult following quickly grew as it became tradition for travelers arriving and departing out of PDX Airport to take photos of their feet safely planted on the colorfully patterned carpet. So not only does it look cool, but it actually has something to do with the airport. And now Portland is utilizing that in their jerseys. I think it's fantastic. I think it's really cool. And I wanted to see what the jersey looked like. So I went back to the article that I had referenced for my three on three last episode. And I'm laughing at the description here, which is, (laughs) as we continue down the what else can we pay tribute to in this city path, that is the 2023 City Edition collection, we have the Portland Trailblazers new black jersey, which pays tribute to the admittedly fairly famous carpet of the Portland International Airport. I think it's super cool. I love it. I love stuff like this. And you know who else does? Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. They had him interviewed for this, and he gave some great quotes. Quote, for local stuff, what better way to pay homage? Now that we're doing these different uniforms, because they finally started getting a little funkier with the designs for the Blazers uniforms, rather than just doing every iteration of black, white, red for the same design possible. 
If you've got a city that has these different elements that are a thing, I think you should use it as an opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate those things about the city. I like it a lot. It's different than the norm for the Blazers. They haven't done anything outside of our usual stuff other than the Oregon Trail one we did, their brown jerseys, which I actually thought were cool. That was the most different. I think this one is along the lines of that. PDX carpet is a major staple, and for that to never be done or never get done at least once, I think that's a crime. It's only right to do it. That was actually my idea too, so I really like it. Very cool. Dame Lillard, baby. A Apparently his idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were the Oregon Trail jerseys brown in honor of dysentery? Oh, God. Uh, and on that note, we'll move on to the number two coolest one, <laughs> which is the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks in 2020 slash 2021 did the first version of a jersey about bringing communities together. And this is a trend that they are continuing called gathering place jerseys, where they're talking about different parts in mm -hmm. the Milwaukee area. So for this edition, they're going to a northern area of Milwaukee called Bronzeville. And it's a community that has been apparently, according to their press release, so hopefully this is true, reconnected to downtown Milwaukee through the Deer District neighborhood. So when teams make new arenas and they try to flesh out the area around the arena, they always talk about this bringing the community together. It seems like that might actually be the case here in Milwaukee. Milwaukee listeners, let us know if that's the case or if it's the Bucks patting themselves on the back a lot. No, yeah. And I actually, I guess this wasn't in the main episode, but the Bucks jersey was one of the ones that I talked about in the five on five. So I did a mm. whole thing about that community and kind of that cool patchwork looking thing on the uh, on the side of the jerseys, which honestly, they looked really good in the other night when the Bulls beat them in Milwaukee. So shout out <laughs> the jerseys for looking better than the team. <laughs> so what's cool, as you just mentioned, is that it was inspired by the patchwork mural by Amar Soroma. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. He made this mural on North Avenue in Bronzeville. And it has this really interesting design, and I'll put a link to the video about it because they have an interview with him about it, and it's genuinely very cool. Bronzeville is a heavily black community, and there's a lot of history there, and there's a lot of figures from Milwaukee's history from the black community that are from there, and they wanted to make a mural in the city to pay homage to that and show some of the important black Milwaukee figures in history. And rather than just put a bunch of faces on a mural, he wanted to have a design that brought people together. And he was inspired by quilts, which in the black community and in the Hispanic community are usually passed down from generation to generation to tell stories. So rather than just have faces, there's this interesting pinwheely patchwork design throughout this mural. And that is featured both on the jersey in the belt buckle area of the shorts and then also down the sides of the top of the jersey. And it's very cool. It incorporates the Milwaukee Bucks colors as well as blue because blue has now been introduced into their color scheme. And it's honestly very cool, especially when you see the mural, which is also very cool. It's genuinely a really cool incorporation. And when you hear the story behind it from the artist's perspective, it's awesome. Quote, you see, murals are an uprise and people want to see murals in the community, not just because of their aesthetic value, but also because of the message and the stories that they tell and what they can do for the community, not just for people living in the community, but also for people visiting or driving through that community. It's not a symbol of a dangerous community. It's a symbol of a vibrant, thriving and honorable community, a growing and flourishing community. It's just really cool. And I think them interviewing the artist and working with the artist and having him describe everything was a very smart move. Yeah, totally. So now we can move on to the number one coolest jersey, which I think is fantastic. And that is the Phoenix Suns. So the Phoenix Suns for their City Edition jersey have this very bright turquoise jersey. It looks very different from the rest of their jersey color scheme, 
but it is paying homage to the native indigenous heritage of Arizona. And they actually did the work to make it legit. And it's very cool. The more I read about it, the more I loved it. Here's their press release. I will be mostly reading quotes from it because it was very well written. The Phoenix Suns City Edition uniform honors Arizona's 22 federally recognized indigenous tribes with its symbolic turquoise color and thoughtful design details. Arizona is home to one of the largest urban Native American populations of any U.S. state, and tribal lands and reservations account for more than a quarter of the state's total land area. The City Edition uniform pays tribute to the rich histories and cultures of the state's tribal nations and celebrates their shared love of basketball. So basically, the team wanted to make sure that they were doing this properly. So they ended up working directly with the Inter-Tribal Council of Arizona, which is comprised of leaders from 21 out of 22 tribal nations of Arizona and the Navajo Nation to make sure that every single group was represented and that this design incorporated all of them. And they also collaborated with some local groups, including the Herd Museum, the Phoenix Indian Center, and the Cahokia Social Tech and Art Space, which is an indigenous-led platform for creative places keeping in downtown Phoenix for educational and creative support. Apparently, the turquoise color represents the living or protection stone. It's a color of strength, so they are using this as a way to serve as the team's suit of armor, which is the way cooler version than the Orlando Magic one that you talked about in the last episode where they were like, I don't know, it's gray? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful looking jersey. I'm looking it up right now. And in addition to the jersey being really cool. They also made a new logo, which is on the jersey in the belt buckle area. And when they play in these jerseys, they redo the court and they have a new logo inspired by a quote, a new logo inspired by the Native American medicine wheel depicted on the waistband of the shorts represents the four cycles of life and the four cardinal directions. The 22 feathers in the medicine wheel logo and the 22 arrowheads lining the bottom of the shorts represent each of the state's tribes. It's just cool. And Apparently, they'd been working on this design for two years, so it truly seems like we want to do this, we want to do this right, and we're going to do this right. And I know from experience that they do this right, because when I went to that Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi game in Phoenix, it was Native American Heritage Night, I believe. Apologies if it had a different, more official name, but... They had incredible performances before the show at halftime, all stuff going on. It was really cool. So it seems like the Suns and the Mercury do this well, and they did it well with these jerseys. I thought it was awesome. Very cool. All right, now let's get into the spicy stuff. All right, let's get into the worst stuff. Let me tell you, it's quite bad. So number three is the Philadelphia 76ers. Have you seen this jersey? Let me see it. For anyone who hasn't, and of course, we've got the link so you can look at what all of these look like on the episode page of HorrorSoups.com. It is just a white jersey that in script says City of Brotherly Love, Yeah. which the design itself isn't bad if it was on a t-shirt, but the problem is it's on a jersey. I'm not exaggerating when I say it's just a white jersey with that on it, and there's nothing else. It's just plain white and that, and it really looks boring as heck. Oh, don't forget about the red stripe now. Don't forget oh, about the red stripe. Oh, sorry. There's a red stripe. Ooh. So here's what they said about it. <laughs> uh, here's and just the article started in such a fun way. The Philadelphia 76ers unveiled today. It's 2022-2023 Nike NBA City Edition uniform presented in partnership with official jersey patch sponsor Crypto.com. Sick. <laughs> 
<laughs> the uniform, inspired by the Greek translation of Philadelphia, City of Brotherly Love, represents the rich history of basketball in the city. It marks the first time in team history that City of Brotherly Love lives across the chest of the jersey. They are bragging about being the first basketball jersey to write this on a basketball jersey. But why would anyone else have written it on a jersey? There's one NBA team in Philly. Like, What are we talking about here? There is so much rich history to be celebrated in our city, including the impact Philadelphia's players coaches, and teams have had on the origin and evolution of the game of basketball, said Philadelphia 76ers executive advisor Sonny Hill, who is also a basketball historian within the city. The legends of basketball here laid the foundation for the modern game we've all come to love and cherish, not just the physical aspect of the game, but the knowledge, history, context, and the great traditions. These uniforms represent the past, the present, and the future of the game in our city of brotherly love. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. It then gets on to like brag about the other parts of the jersey, like having the Sixers logo on it. And then it also says it follows last year's very successful jersey, which just really felt like they're trying to fill up the page with more words like they had a minimum to hit. <sighs> Okay, let's get on to number two, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder. They have just another boring charcoal gray jersey, but it is apparently inspired by the soil in Oklahoma City. So the jersey is charcoal gray with red stripes down the side. And apparently this is the representation of the soil in Oklahoma. And they just have some wild quotes. The City Edition uniform honors Oklahomans at their core, said Brian Burns, the Thunder's Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Whether an Oklahoman by birth or choice, we are inspired to believe work conquers all. We are a people who are always pushing onward and striving for better. The colors and design of this uniform are a tribute to our foundation, the ground we all walk on, and the qualities we all share, including selfless service to our community and fellow citizens. <laughs> Oh. But yes, apparently the color symbolizes an iron-enriched red soil, and they also had someone help them with the design, former Oklahoma State University star Desmond Mason, who played 39 games with the Thunder, which is less than half of a season. <laughs> In the Thunder's first season, he was involved in the creative process. What's very fun is that they brag about having him involved, but because I know things about basketball and I researched this, he left the Thunder in very dramatic fashion, where they wanted to only pay him for a one-year deal and he demanded a two-year contract, so then he didn't play with them. And there was multiple ESPN articles written about this. I'll link to one of them on the episode page. But they didn't have a very good ending. And they're like, yeah, we brought everybody's good friend Desmond Mason back into the mix. And they have this video where he's designing it and spray painting and doing all this stuff. The video actually looks kind of cool. And then they show you what the jersey looks like. And it doesn't look anything like what was going on in the video <laughs> where he was drawing things on a piece of paper and he was clearly well-versed in the art of spray paint. He's spray painting stuff using the can to do like different effects, but all it does is make designs around the jersey and then they show the jersey itself and it's just plain charcoal and red stripes and that's it. It looks nothing like the video. It's so funny. <laughs> The only thing I will say for the red in the jersey is that there is somewhat of a pattern on it, which is kind of cool. It just felt very dramatic to say that this is all about dirt. And it's just weird to be like, oh, yeah, the new dirt jerseys. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Like, Dirk? No, dirt. <laughs> no, dirt. Dirt to jerseys. Dirt Nowitzki. Mm -hmm. They're very cool. They're dirt. Okay, so here's the final one. The number one goes to your Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, you scared me. I thought you were going to say Bulls. No, no, no. Sorry. Not, not your, but just, you know, the collective your. The Lakers jersey is just white with purple Los Angeles and then black and purple stripes around the side. That is it. 
Now here's their description. The Lakers keep it simple with this year's edition. Their jersey represents a city where artists can use a blank page as a vehicle to tell the stories behind the change makers who leave a legacy, which is the jersey's anthem. Oh boy. The concentric circle design on the shorts symbolizes bringing all of LA together. Quote, it's really striking in its intentionally simple design elements, said Chad Campion, Nike's senior manager, product line global basketball apparel. The purple and black accents mark the first time the Lakers are using this color combo in the franchise's storied history. <laughs> Which I love that they're bragging, like, the Lakers, who've had purple and black in their colors for a very long time, have never used this specific combination before. This sounds so much like an artist or team trying to rationalize not putting any effort in. Yes. This, to me, and I'm sure I'm going to get some pushback on this, when I go to the Guggenheim and I just see a blank canvas on the wall and you're mm -hmm. telling me that that's art because it represents the emptiness that the artist no i'm sorry maybe it does to that person but like that's hard for me to accept this has the same vibe as like if you ever watch chopped and they're like chefs what i have for you is a deconstructed chocolate cake it's like yeah no you just fucked up a chocolate cake it was not <laughs> meant to be deconstructed i went to an art gallery in Melbourne, and it was really cool, but the modern art section was quite bad. And one of the things was literally a mirror. It was just a framed mirror, a white frame mirror. And they tried to have a whole paragraph about it. I was like, sir, this is a mirror from Ikea. Anyway, continuing on, everyone starts with a kind of blank canvas and you make it into something new. So it's a little bit more abstract. Nadia Ruparvar, the NBA's manager of on-court and brand partnerships, told Boardroom, who reported on this, but the way they're going to connect it in their storytelling and local activation, we don't even really have insight into that yet, but their plans are just to keep amplifying it and drawing connections through the canvas. So this is clearly the, oh, I found out that I had something due for art class in the beginning of class, and I'm mm -hmm. drawing something as quickly as I can on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and then submitting it. It's definitely that. They did just nothing. And now they're trying to brag about it being the potential for something. And even someone who works for the NBA is like, they didn't tell us what it's about, but they're surely going to do something, I believe. The quote that I'm seeing on this article that I had referenced was, the uniform is not the story. It is a vehicle to tell the stories behind the individual change makers around Los Angeles. But you know what it is? It's like going to Romano's Macaroni Grill. And they're like, we don't really have a tablecloth per se. You can just use crayons on this sheet of paper. It's bullshit. The final quote that the Lakers said about this, the clean details are meant to inspire athletes, artists, and hustlers from around our city. Oh. And that is the an interesting way to end a very not interesting jersey. I cannot wait to do the five on five because there were so many to choose from. But those are the three coolest and the three wackest descriptions of how these jerseys are very important. And honestly, the winners were cool. The bad ones were so terrible. Yeah, I'm glad we saved those for last. Uh, and I, I'm definitely on board to continue doing this every year because it's great. Me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse Horses, hosted by Adam Amwala and Mike Schubert. Our editor for this episode was Mike Schubert. The music is by Bettina Kabamanas. The website is by Kelly Beckman Schubert. And the art is by Allison Wakeman. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long-Suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball's Life 2, Mikhail Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borgeli, Weird Questions, Riley Curry's Dad for Three, Bang, Lobster Bisquay, Hi Trish, Ginger Spurs Boy, Nicole Arsenal, something mean about the Knicks, and now Stubby Boardman gets paid. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops was the assistant coach on that team, and boy oh boy, 
were they behind the decision as well? Yeah, they got off easy, didn't they? Go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to a bunch of the fun stuff we talked about today, including that very compelling Outside the Lines interview of the shamed head coach. Yes, and if you want to support the show, you can do so at our Patreon, patreon.com slash horsehoops. You can get access to a bunch of bonus content, such as the 5 on 5 that Adam referenced, the 5 on 5 that I'm going to do, audio stuff. You can also go to horsehoops.com slash merch and get yourself a Subner It's a Basketball t-shirt, digital replays of old live shows we've done, lots of fun stuff there. But we're going to close out this episode, as we always do, by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. What are we feeling here? I don't know. We went the whole episode without referencing the World Cup. Is there anything uh, soccer related that we should be talking about? Football related, I should say? I guess we could do the I believe that we can win thing. Or we could wish Christian Pulisic's nuts a healthy recovery. Well, that seems important. And, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of uh, horse related soccer podcast that's like it's not about the wins or losses or the ties actually Uh uh-huh how about i believe on three all right let's do it all right one two three i I believe. believe